Welcome to the Feel Good Podcast with Kimberly Snyder. My goal is to help you develop a holistic lifestyle based on our four cornerstone philosophy, food, body, emotional well-being, and spiritual growth. This holistic approach will help you feel good, which I define as being connected to your most authentic, highest self. And this is the place from which your energy, confidence, creativity, true power, and true beauty will start to explode. Every week, we provide you with interviews from top experts in their field or a solo cast from yours truly to support you in living your most beautiful, healthy, and joyful life. I'm your host, Kimberly Snyder, founder of Saluna, New York Times bestselling author, and holistic wellness, nutrition, and meditation teacher. Let's get started. Namaste, loves, and welcome back to our Monday interview show where I'm so excited to have one of my favorite repeat guests back, Dr. Will Cole, who is a leading functional medicine practitioner and an author. And he has a new book out called Gut Feelings, Healing the Shame-Fueled Relationship Between What You Eat and How You Feel. So I absolutely love this concept. I love this book. I love Dr. Cole. But in this new book, he's actually correlating showing the relationship with research and teachings around two of our cornerstones, body and emotional well-being and food and spiritual growth. All of them are interconnected, but here we're really showing how our guts and our feelings are truly interconnected. And I will say, as Dr. Cole mentioned in the interview, my interview on his podcast around when you are more than you think you are came out actually inspired a Vedic yogic philosophy section in this new book. So I'm really excited about this holistic approach to gut health, to feeling good in your life and what part of that shame, guilt, heaviness actually plays in our wellness across the board and our physical well-being and our gut well-being and beyond. So it's a pretty profound conversation. I'm very excited to share it with you. So before we dive in, I want to give a shout out to our fan of the week. And her name is Girl 112 And she writes, getting me through postpartum. I found Kimberly before I had my baby, but I didn't delve deep into her stuff until I had my baby. I love listening to her podcast on Walks with a Stroller. We also had a big move to a different state and her podcast has been keeping me grounded ever since this difficult time. Thank you so much. Well, Pays Girl 112, thank you so much for being part of our community. This makes me so excited and honored that I can be part of your journey, especially in this beautiful part of motherhood. So thank you so much for being part of our community. Thank you for your review and sending you so much love out there, mama, wherever you happen to be. And I look forward to supporting you more. And for your chance, my love, to be shouted out as our fan of the week, (laughs) for me to read your beautiful words, please just take a moment out of your day to leave us a review on Apple, Spotify, wherever you happen to listen to our show, which is an amazing way to support. So thank you so much in advance. Please also be sure to subscribe to the show so you stay in the weekly flow. Please be sure to share the show as well with anyone that you think could benefit. This is the real act of expansion and abundance, which sharing, which is what we're here to do. We're here to support one another. And finally, be sure to pick up a copy of our latest book, Baby, You Are More Than You Think You Are, 
which is out in paperback now. So this is my practical guide with teachings and actionable steps and tips for getting past these blocks, fear, grief. I just gifted the book to my friend who just recently lost her mom. And in the book, I share about how I was able to get past this big transition in my life, losing my mom and also getting past a lot of self-doubt. And how do we get to that place where we create our best stuff? We are creators. We are meant to live in vitality and abundance. So that's what this book is really teaching about. And I can't wait for you to read it and benefit from it in your own life. So again, please check it out wherever books are sold. All right. All that being said, let's get into our interview today with the wonderful Dr. Will Cole. We have the amazing Dr. Will Cole back with us today. Welcome back, Will. I'm so excited to chat with you. (laughs) Nice to see you. I know it's always great to to catch up. It takes a podcast to catch up sometimes with a friend. So I'm glad that we're doing it today. I know. And then we have this dedicated time. I feel very excited and honored. (laughs) Get to pick your brain with questions I know many of our listeners share. And I was chatting with you before the podcast. And I said, sincerely from my heart, of all your books, of anything you've put out, this one is the most exciting one, I think. <laughs> Thank you. I feel the same way about it, actually. And I like, I love all the books, right? They're all like my book, book babies. But as a writer and an educator for my patients, this is also my favorite book. So thank you for letting me talk about it. And it's out here today. We'll be linking to it in the show notes. The title is Gut Feeling, Healing the Shame-Fueled Relationship Between What You Eat and How You Feel. So this is so intimately tied to everything I believe. Well, you know, I've been start, started as a nutritionist, but then started really going into meditation and spiritual offerings because I realized that there was only so much I could help people with food. And there was, as you talk about in the book, we can have really great diets, but then there's still so much chaos that can happen in the bodies when we start to consider mental health and stress mm-hmm. and all these other factors that weren't really talked about in the past. Yeah, no, it's definitely, you're right. And it's a, it's a intimately part of my job as a functional medicine doctor with my patients is that we had to deal with both sides of that coin. And I think we fall short when it's like an, when it's an either or approach, when it's like mental health and then physical health. But the reality is mental health is physical health. And it's something that I really get to talk about in the book and it's titled gut feelings. It's the gut and the feelings. It's the physiological and then the psychological, the mental, emotional, spiritual stuff. And both sides are important, you know, and I see people that have underlying gut problems or have chronic Lyme disease or mold toxins, something like that, or environmental toxicity that's going to impact how their brain works, right? It's going to impact things like anxiety and depression and fatigue. So if I'm one of those people where that's an issue that I have to deal with, something underlying physiological that's driving inflammation, that's impacting how my neurotransmitters are signaling. I could be, you know, doing all the mental emotional work, therapy, et cetera, but it's not going to get rid of high toxic load or underlying gut problems in my body. But then conversely, there's so many people that eat, like you said, eat the perfect food. They're like, 
They're 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 living in Whole Foods in Erewhon and like going and spending to all, all the, their money on all this. <laughs> yeah, right. Taking all the supplements, right? And maybe better off than they would be, right? Than they if they weren't doing it, but they're still kind of stuck at something's missing here. Yeah, and that's the feeling side, like dealing with chronic stress and unresolved trauma. And I, what I talk about in the book, even the research around intergenerational trauma, which is just mind blowing stuff of how things are even passed on through generations and showing up physiologically it's actually showing up in inflammation and autoimmunity and hypervigilance and so both sides of the coin are needed the physiological and the psychological the gut and the feelings and that's why i'm so excited to for people to read this book because i know it's so important and when both sides are dealt with i get to see on an hourly basis with my patients that people are able to overcome the seemingly insurmountable because of this approach. And what I love about the book as well is it's very grounded in research. And I feel like a lot of this research wasn't talked about, wasn't seen. You've really done a great job, Will, of compiling it. So we say, oh my gosh. And there's this part in the book, which I've intuitively felt for years and years, working with people, seeing them, as you said, eat well, um, eat a plant-based diet or, you know, cleanse or do all these different things and still have weight problems. But there's a part in the book where you talk about, you know, sometimes these weight problems are because of chronic stress at work and toxic relationships constantly putting us in fight or flight. So it's not about the food alone. It will never just be about the food. No, I mean, and the studies are very clear on this. It's not just me saying it in a book or and certainly I have a lot of clinical experience with this, but it's very much research that when your body's in a state of stress, I mean, stress, chronic stress is associated with a lot of different health problems, but one of them is the impact it has on hormonal signaling, how it impacts insulin, how it can impact cortisol levels, how it can impact leptin levels. And these are things that we can quantify on labs and see things like insulin resistance and leptin resistance and cortisol dysregulation right and how it really kind of puts the body in that sort of protection mode and it's it's sort of an evolutionary mechanism but it's not sustainable for long-term health it's not sustainable for feeling great you know having optimal energy and just having a healthy metabolism so as i said in the book chronic stress is the ultimate junk food right and Mm. you if you're eating the like a beautiful salad and chugging back smoothies and kombuchas and, but serving your body a big slice of stress every day, that's raising inflammation levels just as much as that food that doesn't love you back. Mm. Well, you, you use a really interesting term in your subtitle, shame. And then also this term you use in the book, shame inflammation. Can you talk a little bit about that specifically? Yeah. So it's, Shameflammation is my term for patient to patients about how the mental, emotional, spiritual stuff symbolized by shame, right? And then we talk about the research around shame, which is really fascinating, but how sh- things, the negative emotions or emotions that are sabotaging to the human body, like shame and stress and trauma, how that impacts our physical body, i.e. the inflammation part of shame inflammation and raises inflammation markers like high sensitivity C-reactive protein or homocysteine levels, another inflammatory marker that we measure for patients and, and other ones like other immune markers in the gut, like uh, calprotectin is one that we see a lot um, really spiked high because of this hypervigilant immune response in the form of chronic inflammation, which is a product of the immune system. And it's, 
again, it's the people that cleaned up their diet. They're super clean. Mm. They're doing all the things they're quote unquote supposed to do as far as nutrition is concerned, but are either reliving a past trauma that's not resolved or, and, or dealing with in a current stressful circumstance in their life, whether it's unhealthy boundaries at work, unhealthy boundaries with certain relationships. And they're sort of it's feeding that, as you said, that sympathetic fight or flight stressed state, which really dysregulates a lot of things in their body internally. But then the ripple effect is a lot of dysregulation in their life externally with their mm. relationships, et cetera. Mm. So this word trauma, it's, you know, I read it's, it's in your book as well and um, other books I've been reading about. And now we're starting to understand how pervasive it is. I think some researchers have said there's 75% of Americans have, you know, beyond COVID, which was a stressor trauma for all of us, but things like neglect in our childhood. And so I, you know, you read this stuff, Will, and you're like, oh gosh, I definitely have trauma. Am I screwed? Am I, I'm aware of it now. You know, a lot of people say this to themselves. Have you seen patients really heal their childhood, things that have happened and their health improves in dramatic ways. I mean, I know it's not all or nothing, but you know, it's sometimes we read this stuff and we're like, oh God, it's it's a little bit discouraging. So maybe you can give us some hopeful news. Yeah. I mean, it is and it's heavy stuff, right? And it's a lot more nebulous in a way because it's easy or more prescriptive in a way for me to say, oh, these foods are most likely to drive inflammation. Like avoiding those foods will love you back. It'll calm inflammation levels. And it's a little bit more cut and dried, straightforward, A and B. Um, It's a lot more insidious for when you're talking about things like trauma and chronic stress to to say to somebody, don't have trauma, don't have that anymore, right? Or don't have stress. Then they stress about not stressing and it doesn't really help anybody. So you always want to bring context to it and solutions to it. And it's a lot more, it's a lot, it's not a quick fix. It's something that's going to be a lot of unpacking for many of us. And one of the things that we have for initial consultations, we have every patient fill out a lot of health history stuff, right? Like more in depth things that we ask in functional medicine, but we all, one of the things, one of the areas that we look at for every patient is something called the adverse childhood experience or ACE, Mm. their ACE score. And we get really personal about psychological abuse growing up, physical abuse growing up, sexual abuse growing up. Was there alcohol or drugs in the home growing up? What was your parents' relationship growing up? And we know from the studies, and I talk about it in the book, how people that have higher A scores are more likely later on in life to be have things like autoimmune conditions and metabolic issues and hormonal problems. So you're right. It's quite sobering and heavy to say, wow, many of us will be like, man, I'm screwed. Like what? I didn't even ask for any of this stuff. And I'm the odds are set stacked against me. Um, and it's absolutely true to say that some of us have a more arduous journey than others. There's no way yes. around it. It's just the, the, the state of the world. But I see people all day long for the past 13 plus years in telehealth and functional medicine overcome the seemingly insurmountable. And ultimately, as trauma can be inherited, so can healing. And I see people heal not just themselves from these things, but their children and if they choose to have them. And 
their children's children and generations to come, breaking that cycle of pain, breaking that cycle of dis-ease, breaking that, that cycle of disorder, both physiologically and externally too. So they're bringing about homeostasis, balance, mm. symmetry and synergy into their life. So the research is very clear that you can calm down these hypervigilant states, these hyperinflammatory states through the gut and the feelings, the physical, physiological mm-hmm. and the psychological. So again, it's, it's, it's an untangling. It's not, it's a process. Yeah. It's a deepening. <laughs> Healing is certainly nonlinear. My patients tell you that, but it's one, it's, it's the path that you have to go on if you want to overcome these things. Well, and at least we're having this conversation, right? Because in the past, if people didn't even know they had trauma, there was no discussion about it. There's this building frustration, right? I'm doing all this stuff. Why isn't it working? What's wrong with me? So for me, well, I, you know, I, I didn't understand a lot of this for a long time. You know, my immigrant parents, my mother's an immigrant from the Philippines doing their best hustling. There was a level of neglect, a lot of love, but just a lot of, you know, left aloneness, which, mm-hmm later manifested in perfectionism, right? And you actually have this line, I wrote it down in my notes, nowhere is perfectionism more dangerous than in the world of health and wellness. Mm-hmm. So this really struck me because we say, oh, don't be so hard on yourself, have more self-compassion. But now you're actually linking it to health. Can you talk a little bit about that connection? Yeah. So I talk a lot about in the book about orthorexia, which is a problem within the wellness world, right? It's like um, the end stage, right? But then it's really just like any disordered eating. There's an orthorexic spectrum where you may not be diagnosable as orthorexia, but you know intuitively there's something not healthy about my relationship with food or exercise or whatever, anything within wellness. And there's this sort of shame and obsession and anxiety and dread around wellness. And I see things that are very great tools be abused. Things that even make sense for that person, but there's such a sense of dread and obsession and anxiety around it that it's really sabotaging any good that it could do. Because as I say in the book, you can't heal a body you hate. You cannot shame your way into wellness. You can't obsess your way into health. And that is true. So the perfectionism can look different ways for different people, but it's definitely a problem within the health and wellness world. And whether it's orthorexia or just this sort of hyper-perfectionism, right, around something where they become obsessive about it, I really think it's the antithesis of sustainable wellness. It's just, it's not going to be sustainable for most people because of that frenetic energy, or if it is quote-unquote sustainable, it'll end up being such a source of dread and misery that you will, it'll really sabotage all the potential good benefits that it could bring you. So we have to start again this is more complex than me just saying it with my words but we have to start shifting our paradigm around these things and unpacking our intention and why of why we're even doing this so you read the book so you know but like a lot of the conversation that i wanted to have with the reader is just saying like why are we doing these things and within wellness and start to shift it towards using self-care and practices within wellness as a form of self-respect and saying like, can we do these things and get all the amazing benefits that's in the science, but do it with a, with a place of from, do it from a place of grace and lightness. Because uh, I think like the biohacking world is wonderful, 
But a lot of lay people, <laughs> a lot of lack in there, right? Like I'm not. Yeah, right. It's more, so more. much. Always more, more is always yes. better. And sometimes it's not. More sometimes less is where you need to go. And streamlining and simplifying your life is the most self care, like loving, nourishing, healthy thing you can do. I've been speaking a lot about hydration lately because I think it's such a huge part of the wellness puzzle. We don't realize how chronically dehydrated many of us are, including research that shows that most Americans are actually chronically dehydrated. And when we are, our organs don't function as well. Detoxification slows down. Unfortunately, aging increases. Our hair tends to be brittle. Our skin shows the coarseness and the harshness of dehydration. So I wanted to share a product that my family uses and I love it. It's called the Hydro Jug and we have it all around. Hubby has it on his desk. I have it on the counter. I have it on my desk. And what it is, is this incredible jug that fills half a gallon of water. So you can actually track how much water you're drinking, which may really surprise you. It's eco-friendly. It's non-toxic. They have a glass version that I absolutely love with a wide open mouth. So please get one for yourself. It is so important for your long-term health and well-being to really up the hydration game. So please go to hydrojug.com and use the code FEELGOOD to get 15% off your order today. That's hydrojug.com, code FEELGOOD to get 15% off your order today. Hey, this is Dr. Drew, and I'd like to invite all of you to subscribe to the Dr. Drew podcast. Uh, We are very proud of what we're doing there at that podcast. I am interviewing some of the most interesting people you could ever want to talk to. Just whatever I find fascinating, whether it's a smart person or an expert in a field that I'm interested in, or maybe I'm not even interested in. I'm only interested because I've heard them speak and become intrigued. I think you'll be intrigued as well. We get deep into topics that are quite important to the current age. Things like cognitive dissonance, cognitive distortions. How does our mind work? We, we talk about everything at the Dr. Drew Podcast. It is of real relevance. We get all the way into deep physics and all sorts of stuff. But trust me, it's all very accessible. It's very interesting. Headaches. If you're even interested in learning about headaches, we get there. We go to the interesting topics of the day. Please join us at the Dr. Drew Podcast. the perfection of it as well well this this drive this constant pushing it's never enough this competitiveness i remember i i lived in new york city and i used to teach yoga asana classes even in yoga well there'd be a you know a certain percentage of students that would be like looking around all the time am i doing it right am i doing a better handstand really competitive and you see it like you said in health and food in yoga class which is supposed to be about self connection and breath but still that you call it hypervigilance, just always looking around and comparing, it really permeates our life. And I imagine our nervous systems and then our gut health and everything just starts to cascade detrimentally. Without a doubt, without a doubt. So it's like the to me where I wrote the book, and I say this in the book actually explicitly, I say this book is for the health aficionado. 
in many ways where it is like I see because those are my people that I see yeah. in the telehealth center. Like they're the people that know all the things. They know more than most doctors do. And I'm saying like, let's look at what the research is showing of what we're doing. Let's check ourselves in a, in a loving way and like start to shift and simplify some things to to really come about this with the t- intention of nourishment but it's also for the health beginner so they can actually get off in the right foot and stay there because <laughs> many of us lose our way within wellness and we become the sort of obsessive type a orthorexic person and you're like you look back in five years 10 years 15 years and you're like where the heck am i like why i'm eating five foods and i and i i have i'm so restricted and i have, still have digestive problems and their north is like lost they have they have no idea how to get out of this and that's typically when I'm meeting people is they're dealing with the physiological things and then the mental emotional things. And then sometimes trauma around food, because we know that food sensitivities are a real problem. So sometimes the orthorexia can be triggered from real food reactions. And that's the other side of the coin that you have to deal with both sides to start to get out of those woods, so to speak. Well, I like how you talk about in the book, medical gaslighting a bit where someone knows there's something wrong with them and the doctors are saying, well, there's no test. And then there's a certain percentage of people, as you know, well, that don't ever really figure it out. So they get, oh, I know it's general autoimmune, it's undiagnosed Lyme disease, or, you know, it gets put into these sort of, you know, labels. From In your opinion, you know, you're talking about gut feelings, you're talking about this connection between gut and the emotional mental health is it um is a lot of this stuff like just this general dysbiosis or is it really like subdivided Lyme disease this kind of autoimmune or is it m- much more of a general thing do you do you see what i'm saying i just yeah, have so absolutely. many people i meet that are like well it wasn't undi- it's not diagnosed so i guess it's Lyme disease mhm yeah you're right and i think a lot of times these umbrella terms or even you know really the diagnoses sometimes are just a description of of their symptoms because yeah. like fibromyalgia being labeled that it's what what does that even mean it's like musculoskeletal inflammation breaking that down anybody that has fibromyalgia will tell you i already know that or chronic fatigue syndrome yeah. okay what does that even mean i'm chronically tired they already know that my my job in functional medicine is to say why do you have this problem in the first place if someone has fibromyalgia okay if that's your label that's your label but what's upstream to that? What's actually causing that neuromuscular inflammation in the first place? Or CFS, chronic fatigue syndrome, what's actually mm-hmm. driving that CFS? Mm-hmm. So it, it it definitely is, it's manifest in different ways for different people, depending on the confluence of variables and the area in which it's impacting, right? The commonality between all of these problems is chronic inflammation, but then ultimately my job in functional medicine is to figure out and find out why what's causing the inflammation in the first place. Inflammation is the commonality, but ultimately yes. something's causing the dysregulated immune response or chronic inflammation, and in turn, the nervous system and the endocrine system, the hormonal system. So I went over, like through the book, I go over the top physiological and psychological things that I see. And for some people, we're all going to have different pieces to that puzzle like for some people it's going to be a bigger piece of their puzzle is underlying gut problems like a lot of gut bacterial dysbiosis things like SIBO small intestinal bacterial overgrowth but then not to get super granular here but like what caused the SIBO so there there's a lot of research to show that you know their um, trauma can decrease the migrating motor complex 
and both mental emotional trauma, but also physical trauma, like head traumas. So like car act, past car accidents or sporting injuries can drive this EBO. And then there's that whole sort of mental emotional trauma around that. Or mycotoxins, mold toxins, we see yeah. decreasing in the migrating motor complex. So the SIBO doesn't happen in a vacuum. So this sort of the complex areas, but that's where it impacts the person is how we like to label it in healthcare, right? If it impacts more of the gut, we have labels for it like IBS or Crohn's or also colitis. Yeah. yeah. Or if it happens in the brain, we used to call it brain fog fatigue. But it's inflammation in different parts of the body. We can label it however we want to. But what's the upstream root issue? What's causing that inflammation in the first place? So is it like what I call shame inflammation? Is it the mental, mm-hmm. emotional, spiritual stuff? Is it physiological things like underlying gut problems or chronic infections or environmental toxins like glyphosate impacting neuroinflammation and the decimation of the gut microbiome? It's for many people, it's a confluence of factors. It's the perfect storm of variables yes. that's giving rise to these chronic problems. Yeah, I remember when I had a lot of yeast, well, like candida, and then I was really anxious and then I was constipated. So it was almost like my gut health was making me more moody and then vice versa, because then I was clamping down. I wasn't relaxed. I wasn't mm-hmm. chewing well. I wasn't chewing good food or choosing good foods. So it was sort of like this vicious cycle. It's really hard to yeah. break when you don't have the knowledge. Yeah. Absolutely. And look, it's you're right. It's there on a causation level, there's studies to show that ba- different bacterial overgrowths are actually causal to right. influence the way that neurotransmitters are produced and signaled. So, like we know this, but like 95% of serotonin is made in the gut and stored in the gut. 50% of dopamine is made in the gut, stored in the gut. So we know that different bacterial overgrowths and imbalances can actually influence the way that serotonin, dopamine, acetylcholine, GABA are inf- are influenced as far as your mood. But on top of that, like you said, when you have digestive issues, just on a symptomatic level anybody's going to feel irritable and moody and maybe a little bit lethargic from that as well. So then it's, yeah. this is where like the um, sort of vicious cycle can play and come into play is people don't know what came first. Right. You know, is it, was it the underlying gut problems or the mood issue? That's the bi-directional relationship because we know the gut and brain are formed actually from the same fetal tissue. So babies are growing in their mother's womb and they're that gut and brain is inextricably linked for the rest of our life through what is known as the gut-brain axis. Your gut is your second brain. It even looks like the brain if you think about it, your intestines. So it's an important part. And many people can't untangle. They're having difficulty untangling where to even start because it's happening on both both ends, both literally and metaphorically. <laughs> well, well then, we, then we can argue, does it matter, right? Do, do we need to know where it started? We can start working with both as you talk about in your yeah. book. Yeah, it doesn't really matter. It, it, it only, it matters. It matters to a certain degree because it, people the want root. answers yeah. and sure. they want to go upstream. So I, you, that's where a comprehensive health history comes in and labs. But ultimately, even when you lay out all that data, the evidence for people, and I do that as a, for my day job, I tell them exactly what you just said. Ultimately, you, you don't know always what came first. It's kind of irrelevant. You have to do with both sides of the coin and what are going to be the biggest needle movers for you. And for right. some people, the biggest needle mover for them is going to be dealing with this piece of the puzzle. For the next person, it's going to be that. So 
any, like I'll do whatever it takes for our patients to get their head above water so they can start have that sigh of relief of like, I'm moving in the right direction. And then they get encouraged by doing the mm-hmm. things that make them feel good. And I want the same for the reader too. It's just, just like, let's intuitively kind of check in with themselves to see what are the, what are the areas that are the most tangled up for me, so to speak. Well, and I love in the book, you juxtapose the, you know, the, the, the actual nutritional the recommendations with meditation and therapy to just to show, Hey guys, this is a really holistic way of looking at it. If we really want to heal, this is as important as, as this part. Yeah, it is. It is the gut and the feelings. And it's every day I wanted to, like, there's a 21 day protocol in the book that I, as I say in the book, clearly, like, I'm not saying I'm going to deal with completely solve people's intergenerational trauma in 21 days, but I want people to start leaning into these practices because with consistency, and a lot of aha moments, I think, for many yes. people, they'll be able to know, oh, this EMDR thing that he's talking about here, I need to go seek a specialist that's, that's trained in EMDR. Or I need to do more of what I learned over the 21 days with somatic experiences or breath work mm-hmm. or soups and stews and really deal with the gut-brain axis and this underlying gut inflammations impacting my mood. Like maybe it's more of that. So all of this stuff is important. So hopefully it's a springboard in many ways. I hope it is for people to have a lot of uh, first, like a step, first step in the right direction. You know, talking about soups or stews as a Ayurvedic practitioner, there's so much about cooked food. Well, like we're feeling really nourishing when you're feeling stressed, right? But then on the other end of the scale, there's the raw foodists that talk about don't destroy the vitamins and it's, you know, there's like this or that. What have you, do you see people in your, in your clinic that sort of, and you talk about this like on, off, and even within the vegan vegetarian world, there's this raw food cooked, um, mm-hmm. you know, discussion and everybody's body is different. So do you, do you see people in your, in your clinic where you're, they are better handled to have all cooked, yeah. all raw, but most people it's a combination. Yeah. For most people, it's a combination. So for, for us, we're always looking at, and I, and some, for many of our patients, we, I think of it as sort of this pie chart, uh, for cooked versus raw. And for some people, like these are very general generalities, but to give you an example, somebody that has more active flared up IBSD, like uh, irritable bowel syndrome, looser stools, undigested foods, they tend to do better at the beginning therapeutically using food as a like therapeutic tool within their toolbox, more soups and stews, more mm. cooked, even some people pureed vegetables even as soft and easy to digest as possible versus some people that have less reactive digestive issues or even that have a little bit sluggish GI motility all the way to constipation is to start with really looking at more fiber and and actually having some more raw foods. Uh, And then there's everything in between. There are people that there's exceptions to even that rule of what I just said. I know people that have looser stools, IBSD, that actually do need to have more raw foods so the fiber can actually add bulk to the stool. So even when I just said IBSD and C, I'm thinking of exceptions of bioindividuality of everybody's gut is different. Everybody's biology is different. So a major part of what I do and what I try to put in the book is bioindividuality. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I think it's very um, reductive of us in like if someone's a raw foodist and they think everybody should do raw food all the yes. time, there's no exceptions. They're not 
they're probably not talking to very many people during the day. And if they are, they're probably talking to, to the same small subset of people that agree with you. Yes. And it, and it works for them. Right. So there's nothing, no shade on that. Like that, it does absolutely work for some people. But I'll tell you what, there are many people that have tried the raw food and it really just isn't loving them back right now. And that's the big term right now. Right. Where, like, can you do more of, like you said, the Ayurvedic principles of more soups and stews and, and traditional Chinese medicine and with more soups and stews for a time and then lean out of that and segue out of it. So it, different seasons of our life, different seasons of our health journey, our what foods love us back and how that food looks like, what that food looks like, it's going to evolve over time. And it's okay to pivot. Many people, especially within the vegan and vegetarian world, they feel like they're a failure if what they're doing, because it's so tied up into belief and faith and ethics and morality that they somehow really feel like there's an extra level of there's the food shame. And then there's like this larger, like I'm an ethical moral failure because I, uh, this food's not loving me back, even though it did at one point, or this food's not loving me back, even though I thought it should. So be okay to pivot, be okay to evolve and give yourself grace because stressing about this stuff is is ultimately sabotaging our health too. Exactly. It goes to the orthorexia and the feelings. And another area in the book that was really fascinating and is so needed to be talked about today is, of course, the relationship with hormones. And you had something really interesting. You wrote about the connection between insulin and negative emotions, because obviously we know we're in the middle of this diabetes epidemic and child diabetes, pediatric diabetes. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So hormones are kind of like biochemical emails. That's how I think of them. They're, they're messengers, right? They're chemical signaling molecules. And when somebody's under stress, I mean, chronic stress is associated with pretty much every health problem, pretty much. Um, but it's implicated with metabolic syndrome, type 2 diabetes, for sure. And the impact that has on our blood sugar regulation, because of its influence on cortisol, which influences blood sugar regulation, and then that will impact insulin, which is meant to get glucose stabilizing down. So the vast majority, depending on the study that you look at, it's the vast majority, 60 to 80%, some, some, somewhere around that time, then that percentage of people in the West have some sort of blood sugar problem. They're somewhere on that insulin resistance spectrum. It may be negligible, but most people, you can measure it in the form of high triglycerides, because the body is storing glucose as circulating fats. So you'll see triglycerides above 100. You'll start to see HDL or good cholesterol under 59, uh, which we want that to be higher than that for optimal uh, cholesterol health. Um, and then obviously serum insulin, leptin, A1Cs above 5.5, glucose, fasting, blood sugar above 90. You'll see that. And there's both a physiological and a psychological component of it for this for many people. So looking at stress, looking at negative emotions, looking at trauma and how those things impact hormonal signaling and, 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 um, blood sugar and inflammation. It's kind of all part of that same dysfunction when you're talking about insulin resistance. So. Yeah. It, it's, it's just needed. It's needed. And I, I, again, I see people that have the perfect macros, their protein, fats yeah. and carbs look beautiful, but they're not sleeping well because they're stressed and then that's throwing off and then they're further stressed because they're not sleeping well. So again, it's like what came first there, but it's, it's going to only compound over time, this dysregulated endocrine response. And when, when blood sugar is off, 
and insulin is off, uh, you're going to see a cascade of problems with other hormones as well. And that can do, that can play a part in with thyroid hormones and with estrogen and progesterone because you know things like, uh, insulin resistance, which most people are dealing with to some degree will impact liver function and impact an enzyme called aromatase and really impact estrogen and progesterone for people, for both men and women, and testosterone for both men and women. So it is, it is something not to stress people out, but just to say, look, there's, if anything, I hope that this is a sense of grace for people to know, hey, this isn't just my lack of willpower, or right. I'm weak, or there's something wrong with me, and uh, there's something dysfunctional with my personality is like no there's a reason why people are craving certain foods when your blood sugar is off yeah because of maybe underlying gut problem or stress it's gonna make you crave certain things and there's fascinating research to show that just even bacterial imbalances in the gut which impacts your blood sugar you'll crave certain foods yes. so maybe it's not you craving it in the first place it's your gut bacteria that's causing you to crave it so that's if anything a sense of like whoa it's not just something wrong with me. I can actually, there's a reason why I feel the way that I do. Let's be curious and ask why I feel the way that I do so I can deal with it and move on with my life. You mentioned in the book about trying to break free of sugar and then the bacteria that feeds out the sugar could taste, could change your taste buds or opioid receptors. So what do we do if we are trying to get off sugar? It's, it just seems like, oh, wow, this stuff is a lot more complicated yeah. than we thought. It isn't just willpower. Is yeah. it to strengthen the overall gut? Like, yeah, lean into talking? it. I think that's yeah. what I want to do for the 21 days. It's like, if you are a health expert, if you are know all this stuff to some degree, but haven't put it all together, this 21 days will allow you to lean into it and sort of streamline what are the most effective tools that I've seen work for people in functional medicine for the past 13 years. Or if you're new to this and like, what the heck, where do I even start? Yeah. Then this... When people lean into it and are consistent with leaning into it, they can get their head above that proverbial water and start feeling better. So they don't have to have it all figured out. And the the flip the flip side of this is yes, the body's interconnected. So one problem in one area of the body can cause a ripple effect, or as you said, a cascade of things in the body. That is true. But the flip side of that is. You don't have to deal with all the separate parts of the body to start feeling better. You can start to go what we would call in functional medicine upstream, like get to the root. And for many people, it's these gut things. When you start dealing with that, that untangles a lot of the dysfunction downstream. So you don't have to definitely have like, you don't have to have 50 different things you have to do. Sometimes it's just consistency with the few that will really start moving the needle for you significantly. Well, while I have you, well, I can't help but ask about one big category that comes up a lot in our community, and that is fertility, right? Mm-hmm. We're seeing a rising women, people in their 20s are having a really difficult time ovulating or getting pregnant or holding or taking babies to term, which has to do with estrogen and progesterone. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure you see a lot of patients as well in your clinic. So is there um, hope? For many struggling in this category and, in, in, you know, in context of your book with gut health and feelings and to heal the ovaries and hormones in general. Yeah, absolutely. So hormones are, as I mentioned, that there's sort of physiological emails and emails are not being sent appropriately whenever the body's stuck, when the different systems of the body are stuck in that sympathetic fight or flight stressed state. And that's 
a spectrum too, right? That hypervigilance is a spectrum. On one end, on one extreme end, it's a labeled term, which I talk about in the book, that dysautonomia. It's it's sort of that dysregulated hypervigilant immune system. The nervous system is actually stuck in a, a sympathetic fight or flight stress state. There are many people that aren't diagnosable with dysautonomia, but they are somewhere in that sympathetic overactivation. Their parasympathetic, their resting, digesting, hormone balanced state is inhibited. So every practice that I have in that book both the gut and the feelings action items is mm. boarding the autonomic nervous system in more of a parasympathetic state, which is key because you, I see patients that are teenagers all the way to perimenopausal and beyond postmenopausal. And I can't tell you how many women that I see in the 20, in their twenties and thirties and forties that are, their hormones look like they're in the postmenopausal ranges because oh of their nervous system and their immune system and their gut brain axis are just so deep in, in that fight or flight stress state. So part of the epidemic of infertility is due to what I am no doubt is what I'm seeing clinically. Cause I realize I'm just seeing this sort of microcosm within the, our society, right. Of people right. That I, see, I see, but then it, it makes you think, and it makes us think as a team, like, wow, we're just, we're seeing this sort of subset of pe- things that are going on, but you are, w- the numbers speak for themselves and you're dealing with 50 million Americans plus to have an autoimmune disease. As right. I mentioned earlier, m- million, the majority of people have insulin resistance. These, th- all of this stuff increases infertility. And, but the hormones, you're, it's really difficult and it's even hard to even expect great looking estrogen and progesterone and testosterone when your body, when your nervous system stuck in, stuck in that hypervigilant state. Or sperm. It, it, right. Absolutely. With sperm as well. So both, and that's a great point. I mean, it's both parties need to be yeah. looking at what, where is my health at both on mm-hmm. a physical and mental, emotional, spiritual side. So all of these variables need to be taken in consideration. And, um, you know, it's, I think that the tools within the book are really meant to, and there's a whole chapter talking about hormones because yes. of the impact of the gut and the feelings on the endocrine system. It's so, so common. Um, but yeah, beyond that, you know, clinically, I see people overcome these things all the time. So we get baseline with labs and really lean into these gut feeling practices, these parasympathetic supporting endocrine supporting uh, practices. Uh, so yeah, it's, I want people to know this help and there's definitely a lot of tools within the toolbox that they can start to lean into. And again, that's one of the reasons I love this book. I'm so excited about this book, Will, the 21 day plan. So you really lay out for us in the beginning. So we understand the connection. We can understand, wow, this is really important. And then you give us a program to help reset that involves the feeling part, like you said, and the gut part, the food, all of it integrated. So I'm really excited about this book. As I mentioned, I have all your books over here on my shelf, Thank you. but this one, I started reading it and I was like, Oh my gosh, like, ah, like big, like light bulbs going off. Like, this is so exciting. People need to know about this. This book can, can and will help so many people will. So thank you so much. And you can feel, um, it's come from your heart. I imagine it's come from your practice and just seeing all these people, these, everybody needs help. And this is how you can really give people the help and the support that they need. 
Yeah, it really is. A heart. My heart is for anybody that's going with, through these health problems, you know, what would be commonly referred to as mystery illnesses. I want to demystify that and really realize there's, it's not so mysterious when you look in this, look at the stones, so to speak, look at those proverbial stones that are most likely to have something underneath it. And we get to really talk about those stones that are oftentimes not talked about. Because um, exactly. when you look there, you get answers. And just to have, you know, this area of medicine coming into this perspective with heart and compassion. And like you said, this holism. So it it really, this is how we really help, right? We don't have to hide parts of ourselves. We don't say, oh, this is not related, but it's this Mm -hmm. holism, which, which is where our power is. So thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule for chatting with us. Yeah. You're welcome. I have to say real fast, your, the conversation that I had with you around your books where um, I had to include the yogic science section within gut feelings because of the connection between mm. like the, even the the section that I talk about yoga, the yogic science, there's so much parallels between yogic science and polyvagal theory and polyvagal yes. theory talks about like the ventral vagal and the dorsal vagal and the sort of the, the house stress and trauma can be stored in ourselves yogis knew this thousands and thousands of years ago before we had all this sort of science and this sort of Western terminology. So I just want to thank you for that because that area within the book is really because of our conversation. Oh, (laughs) that makes me so happy. Oh my gosh. Well, I'm just, you know, just enamored with your work and I'm just so excited to share this, Will. And I love everything that you are talking about resonates so deeply with me. So thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. you for being here with us today. Thank you, loves, for listening. The gut, the book again is called Gut Feeling, Healing the Shame-Fueled Relationship Between What You Eat and How You Feel. And we will be linking to it directly in the show notes. I hope you enjoyed our conversation today. I absolutely love Dr. Will Cole. Please be sure to check out the show notes for direct links to his new book. Again, it's called Gut Feelings and his work as well as other podcasts I think you would enjoy, past shows we've had with Dr. Cole and other related topics, as well as articles and meditations, recipes. So much lives on our website. So please be sure to check it out at mysaluna.com. We will be back here Thursday for our next Q&A podcast. Till then, take great care and sending you so much love, so much gratitude. Thank you for being part of the community. And I look forward to supporting you more. Namaste.